0: Mark 13, verse 28. And the word of the Lord says, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to you all, stay awake. Let's pray once more. Lord, we come to you once more. As we turn our attention to your word, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, I pray, Lord, for for myself that I would uh, preach your word faithfully and clearly. Lord, that I I would just get out of the way and let your your word do its job. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So for those of you that that are are new here, we want to welcome you. We also uh, want to let you know that we've been going through uh, Mark verse by verse. We are at Mark 13 now, and for the better part of a month or so, we've been looking at the Olivet Discourse, what's known as the Olivet Discourse, which is a portion of scripture where Christ is speaking to his disciples, warning them of signs that are to come regarding the destruction that was to come in Jerusalem in AD 70 and also the end of the age. And again, as we've gone through Mark 13, we've seen this. We've seen Christ's warning of two great judgments, the judgment in Jerusalem and the final judgment that is to come. He's also shared the signs that will lead up to the judgment. As we saw last week, he has promised to come again. He's promised to come and gather his elect so that he can bring them to himself. As we open our, our passage this morning, Christ returns to a familiar parable, if you will. He returns to the lesson of the fig tree. If you've been following along with us in Mark, you may remember that back in Mark chapter 11, Christ gave a lesson on the fig tree. And we saw in Mark 11, the fig tree was a representation of the judgment that was to come on the temple. So by returning to the fig tree, it seems that Christ is reminding the disciples one final time of the judgment that is coming to Jerusalem, or the judgment that is specifically coming to the temple His warning is to observe the signs just as the fig tree puts out its leaves. You know that summer is near. You will also know that the time of judgment is near as you observe the signs that Christ has given. Verse 30 seems to indicate that although Christ was sharing some insight of what was to come at the end of time, at the end of the age, his main reason for this discourse that we find in Mark 13 was to warn his disciples about the nearness of the judgment that they were to face in Jerusalem. As he says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, critics have tried to point to this verse and claim that Christ is a false prophet. After all, the end of time hasn't come, but the people that were there that day listening to Christ giving this message have passed away. How can Christ say that this generation will not pass away when they did pass away and he hasn't returned? Well, for us who take the already not yet approach to the passage, we have no problem with what Christ said here. The already part of the passage did occur before that generation passed away. As I mentioned before, judgment fell upon Jerusalem. The temple was torn down 40 years after Christ answered this very question on the Mount of Olives. He was specifically asked about the destruction of the temple That was what was on the disciples' mind. On the disciples' mind was not the end of the world. On their mind was the destruction of the temple when Christ said these stones would not be left upon one another. The already part of the passage did occur before that generation passed away. As I mentioned before, that judgment fell upon Jerusalem and the temple was torn down 40 years after Christ answered the question that was posed to him on the Mount of Olives. He was specifically asked about the temple. When would these signs be? What will be the sign of this? The question was asked and the question was answered. The fact that he gave them more information than they asked for had no bearing to the fact that he did answer their question. And as he says, his words will not pass away, and they didn't. The judgment came just as he predicted. His prophecy was remarkably accurate. Although heaven and earth may pass away, he says, his word will stand forever. Verse 32 often presents another challenge for many skeptics. He says, but concerning the day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father in heaven. Critics will point to this text and try to disprove the divinity of Christ. They will say, if Christ is truly God, how can he not know? I mean, you say that this Christ is God, how can he not know the day or the hour? As he says there, no one knows. But in fact, doesn't he prove the opposite with his statement? Read it again. Doesn't he actually prove his divinity by identifying himself as the Son? It would be considered blasphemous for anyone to identify themselves as the Son of God. Yet here we find Christ doing just that. So why? Does he say that he does not know if he is God? Well, we need to remember Christ in his incarnation identified himself with humanity, which includes the limits of humanity. This is nothing more than Philippians 2, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Another strong counter to the criticism of his divinity could also be found in the previous verse, verse 31 of Mark 13, when he says that his words will not pass away. That is a claim that only God can make. Only God has the power to decree things that will come to pass. And here, Christ is doing just that. The passage ends with a charge in verses 33 through 36. A charge to stay awake, a charge to stay alert, a charge to be vigilant and to prepare for what is to come. And I believe, again, I believe this charge is twofold. It is a charge given to the disciples to prepare for what is to come in Jerusalem and one given to us to prepare for the second coming. I titled this sermon, The Day Unknown, because that is really what our passage is pointing to. About a day and an hour that no one knows. A day that will come when we least expect it. Just as it came to Jerusalem 40 years after this discourse, so it will come to us in a day and an hour unknown. And there are a few lessons that we can take from our passage that will help us prepare for that day. As we wait with eager anticipation for the glorious day of the Lord, what can we take away from our passage that will help us better prepare And number one, we must learn from the signs. Look again at verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lessons. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Again, pointing them back to the fig tree indicates that more than likely Christ is returning to the specific judgment that is to come with the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. But as I've been mentioning, that judgment was just a precursor of a final judgment that is to come at the end of the age. The disciples could look to the fig tree and see that the season was about to change. We too can point to many things that show us that the season is about to change. Right now we're entering fall and we're starting to see some changes on the trees, the leaves are starting to turn color, and to many, that is a beautiful sight to behold. To us, man, it's just a reminder that we're going to have to spend a day raking leaves. But just as the signs of leaves changing show us that a new season is about to come, or a new season has arrived, so too should the signs that Christ gave show us that he is coming soon. And do you remember those signs? We went through them as we've been going through Mark. Remember earlier in the chapter, Christ gave the disciples signs that pointed to the end. He said false Christ would arrive to lead many astray. He said that there would be wars and rumors of wars, that nation will rise against nation. There will be earthquakes and famines in various places, that persecution of the saints will come, that the gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations, that families will turn on one another, and that we will be persecuted for the name of Christ. And I ask you this morning, Have you seen any of those things? Have you seen earthquakes? Have you seen famine in various places? Have you seen false Christ arise? Have you seen people being persecuted? Maybe not here in America, but have you heard of people being persecuted for the name of Christ? I would argue, yes, I would argue that we have seen these things, and these things have been going on ever since Christ ascended back into heaven, and they've been intensifying ever since, which tell us what? Which tell us that the signs are already there. Which tell us that these things will be changing soon. That the season that we're in won't always be. Don't get too comfortable with the way things are now because change is coming and it is coming when Christ is coming. Think of how foolish it would be not to see that. Think of how foolish it would be to see the leaves changing from trees and fall coming and then going out and buying new swimwear. Unless you're buying it on the end of a summer discount, then I guess that would be wise. But if you're buying to wear in the coming months when the, the season is changing, think of how foolish that would be. So too is it foolish for the person who sees the sign of Christ's return, yet refuses to live that awareness. First Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5.1 Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The people who refuse to see the signs right in front of them are like the people saying, there's peace, there's security, and then destruction will come. They are foolish to not recognize what is right before their eyes, signs that show us that things will be changing soon. Let us not follow that path, the path of refusing to see what is all around us, that the signs that Christ has been mentioning in Mark chapter 13 are being fulfilled right before our eyes. They are showing us that his return is near. And here's the thing. When the people notice that the fig tree's leaves were starting to sprout. They knew that good things were about to come. They knew that this tree was about to produce something for their benefit. The believer should live with that expectancy. Though the signs that we see, though the signs that we go through show us destruction and and chaos, they also should show us something good. That good is about to come for the elect. Through the pruning of the world, the fruit of Christ is about to come to bear. And again, that could either be good news or it can be bad news. To the unrepentant, to the idolater, to the evildoer, to the sinner without Christ, the return of Christ is a day of terror. But to the elect, it is a day of joy. You know, when I was young, I would hear about these signs, wars, rumors of wars, persecution, And they were always told in a way to instill fear. And I guess fear can be a good thing. I mean, if you're without Christ, you should fear the day of judgment. But rarely did I hear the good news about the signs. Yes, these signs are associated with hardships and tribulation, but they also show us that it is close. The day is near, the day when those same hardships, those persecutions will be over. The day when there will be no more suffering, the day when there will be no more pain, the day in which the tears of the elect will dry up, when mourning will be turned into joy and sorrow into gladness. The believer should take heart when they see the signs. We should not be dismayed. We should not be frightened. We should be in preparation. We should be in eager anticipation. The season of pain is about to make way for a season of peace. The season of grief that we live in today will make way for a season of glory. The season of affliction and trouble and weeping is about to turn over a new leaf. The gray skies will soon make room for the sun to come shining through. See, some see the signs and they say, trouble, trouble. The believer sees the signs and says, soon. Soon, soon Jesus will come and this world will be no more. Yes, the signs are difficult, but soon they will be over and I will be with Jesus. The first lesson of our passage is that we must learn from the signs. Amen. Let us go on. A second lesson is the day is sure. Look at verse 30. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Again, Christ is saying his word will not pass away. And you know what? That would have been a scandalous thing to say for anyone that is anyone but God. But remember, Christ is God. And as second member of the Trinity, he has the right to claim this type of authority. He has the right to say what only God can say because he is God and that his word is sure that though everything around you can change, you know what can't? My word can't. My word is set in stone. Everything else may fail, but my word will stand forever. In other words, I know that these things that I'm telling you seem difficult and absurd and I know they seem hard to believe, but rest assured they will come to pass. Rest assured that everything I'm telling you is true. And this is important for us to remember. This is important for us to keep in mind because in our day, it's easy for us to get distracted and forget his words. It's easy for us to think of his second coming as just some sort of afterthought that it it won't happen in my lifetime. Maybe, Maybe in the future it will happen or even worse that it won't happen at all. To see the words of Christ in Mark 13 and say, that's absurd. That's foolishness. Something like that will never happen. 2nd Peter 3 verse 2, 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 2, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all these things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that existed was de- deluged with water and perish, but by the same word the heaven and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Notice that Peter puts the scoffers right in their place. He exposes their heart right off the bat. These people that scoff and mock the second coming are not doing so just because they have a hard time believing. They're doing so because in their sinful desires, they don't want to believe. They love this world. They don't want to see it destroyed. They don't want to see it end. They don't want to see it tampered with. They don't want anyone to come and change their life. They don't want any, anyone to come and change things. But then Peter reminds his readers that we've seen these people before. Remember, God brought judgment to this world before. When he flooded the earth with water, these same scoffers, they existed then. These same men with sinful desires, they roamed the earth, mocking and saying, "Ah, oh, God will never bring judgment. But then what happened? God was true to his word. He told Noah that he would bring the floodwaters and destroy the wickedness of the earth, and that he did. If God said it, then it will be done. Peter is reminding people of that. He's saying, be careful. Be careful. Before you doubt God's word, consider the past. Consider how God has always kept his word. Consider the power of his word. And that everything that you see around you exists because of his word. Isaiah 55, verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. God is not like man. You know, we say we'll do things, and we don't do them. We say we'll do this, we'll do that. I'm going here, I'm going there, and it never happens. Every summer I say, I'm painting my deck this summer. And every summer my deck says, yeah, right, you said that last year. But again, God is not like us. If he says that something will get done, it will get done. If he says that something will happen, best believe that something will happen. This is the point that Christ is making in our passage. These things that I'm telling you are as sure as God's word because they are God's word. So when we consider the second coming. We, could, we should consider it in light of God's word. In other words, we should consider it as fixed. If he said it, it will happen. The days and times that Christ spoke of will come to pass. It's not a question of if. It's a question of When? Numbers twenty-three, verse nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? I mean, unless you don't believe in the divinity of Christ, you have no question to. I mean, you have no reason to question his second coming, because as Scripture tells us, God. Christ is not a man that should lie. He doesn't change his mind if he spoke it; he will fulfill it. Travel to Jerusalem this day, and you're not going to see a temple standing. He opens up Mark chapter 13, telling his disciples that this temple's coming down. And he was true to his word. Forty years later, the Romans came in and destroyed the temple to the ground. He doesn't lie. He's accurate. And I'm sure then there were people just like today. People saying, yeah, right. People saying that, that sounds absurd. How can you say that the, these glorious buildings, how can you say that this mighty temple is going to be burnt to the ground? How can you say that this temple will be no more? You're out of your mind. You're foolish. That kind of stuff belongs in fairy tales. That's fiction. Sound familiar? I hear these same claims today. Today, we hear the same mockery. Today, we hear the same scoffing. How foolish are you? How foolish are you to believe in some Jesus that will come from the skies? How can you believe that? How can I believe it? Because I believe in the word of God. I believe in the inerrant, infallible, sufficient words of God. And if he said that he is coming again, then I believe that he is coming again. His word has been proven true time and time again. His word has never failed me, and I don't expect it to start failing me now. A second lesson that we can take from our passage is that the day may be unknown, but the day is sure. It is sure. And lastly, another lesson we can take away is to stay awake. Not stay woke, stay awake, right? Verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. I believe the way that Christ ends the Olivet Discourse sums up the whole reason for him telling it. It's basically a charge. It's a charge to be alert. It's a charge to be on guard. It's a charge to be ready for what is about to come. He wasn't sharing them these, with them these things to fascinate them. He wasn't trying to amuse or entertain them. Neither was he trying to instill fear or concern. He was letting them know so that they could be prepared. And that is the same charge for us today. We too must be on guard. We too must stay awake and ready and alert. Ready for the coming of the Lord, we must not fall asleep, we must not be distracted, lest he come and find us unprepared. Luke 17, verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and they were drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking buying and selling, planning and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. When the floodwaters came, the people were not ready. They were too distracted. They were too involved in their own affairs and their own concerns. It was the same with Sodom and Gomorrah. The people were indulging in their sins. They were too busy enjoying the pleasures of this world, and then what happened? Destruction came, caught them off guard. They weren't ready when judgment came upon them. And it will be the same when Christ returns. Many people will be like those in the days of Noah and those in the days of Lot. Many people will be immersed in their own cares and their own distractions, indulging in their own sin, and then, when they least expect it, Christ will come in great power and glory. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in that group. I don't want to be in the group that is too busy with their own life to be preparing for the return of Christ, thinking that it won't happen, or it won't happen soon. Hey, there's plenty of time. This is why Christ is warning that no one knows the day or the hour. Don't listen to the false prophets. They have no clue. It will happen when we least expect. It will happen when many people are asleep. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Just as the master of the house comes and unannounced, so too will Christ come. He will come and he will expose what people have been doing in darkness. Peter here echoes the sentiments of Christ. He charges his readers how to live in the light of Christ's imminent return. Since you know this, he says, you ought to live a life of holiness. You ought to live a life of godliness. And notice the contrast. While it will be a day of burning, it will also be a day of promise. A day when a new heaven and earth will arrive. A day when righteousness will dwell So the charge is laid out clear for the believer. The believer should remain alert. The believer should remain ready and anticipating this glorious day. The day when Jesus will come again. And how do we do this? What does it look like to be awake? Well, it simply looks like living a life of faithfulness. In our passage, Christ mentions a doorkeeper. That is put in charge to watch the door while the master is away. What is the doorkeeper? He is a servant to his master, and his job is to be faithful to his service. What would we call the doorkeeper if he's out playing cards when the master comes back? What would we say if he wasn't there when the master arrived? We would say that he wasn't being faithful to his service. We would say that he wasn't being faithful to the charge that his master gave him. His master gave him commands. His master laid out clearly what was expected of the doorkeeper. But when he came back, the doorkeeper was nowhere to be found. The believer also has been given commands by his or her master. The believer has also been told in the word of God what is expected of us. So our task is to remain faithful. Our task is to remain vigilant, not to abandon our posts, but to be present doing the work that Christ gave us. Revelation 16, verse 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief in the night. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. You know, faithfulness not only includes preparing ourselves, but it also includes preparing others. If we are going to be faithful to all of the commands of our Lord, then we must remember that one of those commands is to go and make disciples of all nations. What kind of people would we be if we knew that devastation was coming and we didn't warn anyone? What kind of people would we be if we were in a building and we knew a a bomb was about to go off and we didn't warn anyone but just escaped ourselves? We would be Unloving people, right? You would say things about us. Only a person with a cruel and cold heart would do something like that. I would suggest that it's not very loving to neglect telling people about the day of the Lord. It's not very loving to fail to warn others that Christ is coming soon. If we want to be faithful, we should be telling people about Jesus, about how he will come again. And if they repent of their sins, And turn to Christ for salvation. Then they can escape this great judgment that is to come. And they can be with Jesus forever. Where is that message? Why aren't we sharing that from the rooftops? Why isn't the church proclaiming that message anymore? I think many of us have lost our way. Many of us have become like the people Christ described in Luke the people who were too busy eating and too busy drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and then the floodwaters came. I want to be asleep when Christ comes. I want to be waiting. I want to be anticipating. I want to be waiting with the same blessed hope that the church of Christ has always had throughout history. I want to be found faithful in that glorious day. Why? Because he has been faithful to me. He doesn't sleep on me. He doesn't slumber. His eye is always on the sparrow. He considers the lilies of the field. He watches over my coming and over my going. Dear friend, consider the love that the bridegroom has for his bride. Consider the cost that it costed the bridegroom to purchase his bride. And what kind of bride will we be if he comes and we're not there? I hope we will be found faithful. I hope that we will be found ready. I hope that we will be found waiting with eager anticipation. Again, the charge is clear for us. And it's summed up well as we close in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You ask, what is the church to be doing? This is what we're to be doing. Our Lord is always watching out for us. May his church always be watching out for him. Amen. Let us pray. Let us stand up and pray.